episode 111. Everybody, put your hands together for our next comedian and sales expert, Merit Khan. I can't help it. Even in my comedy, I try to pass along a few lessons learned. I'm always talking about my mistakes. (laughs) I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For show notes, links, and more, including a link to a video of Merit and her stand-up act, you can go to markrabin.com slash mistake111. And our guest today is Merit Khan. She is, uh, among other things, a sales expert. She's a certified emotional intelligence expert. She's a business speaker, and she is CEO of her training company, Select Sales Development. So before I tell you a little bit more about her merit, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Mark. It's nice to be here. And uh, we're going to have a, a really good conversation today. We'll we'll put links to the show notes, uh, links in the show notes uh, to Merit's company and profile. But Select Sales Development, it's S E L L, all in capitals. What, what real quick? What, what's the story behind the name? Well, our mission in the world is to uh, help people stop selling and start getting selected, but it really is all about the sell. And so we spell it S-E-L-L, all in caps, E-C-T dot com, uh, or actually it's select sales dot com. Um, it's uh, not great for SEO, <laughs> but uh, it really is the mission of our of our business to help you stop selling and start getting selected. So I think that that's a really interesting idea. Why a salesperson would say stop would say stop selling. So we'll dig into that a little bit um, later on. But Merritt has coached and trained entrepreneurs and sales teams uh, for more than twenty years. She's also a stand-up comedian. I think we're going to talk about that as well. What's the difference between like? Yeah, I saw you had a one-woman show. That's different than doing like a, a stand-up set of jokes and stories. Yeah, it's a little different. I uh, I started out doing um, stand-up. So in stand-up, you want a tight 10, they call it, like a good 10-minute set you could travel with and, and perform at the drop of a hat. Um, and after I built my tight 10, and I did that a few times, so uh, I wanted to string them together and perform um a little bit more, um, adding some stories and some inspiration and some lessons learned and things like that. So it was more of a theatrical experience. So I, I created a one woman show with costume changes and a set, and it allowed me to weave those sets together and add in some of the other things I like, which is leaving people better than I found them, which I can't help it. Even in my comedy, I try to pass along a few lessons learned. I'm always talking about my mistakes. <laughs> well, then you're in the right place. I think that's yes, part I of am. how I found you to uh, to come be on the show today. So there's so much more that we can uh, revisit and uh, we've set the stage for topics we can come back to. But we always do like to jump right into the main question that we always pose to guests. Uh, Merit, what would you say is your favorite mistake? My favorite mistake was on a sales call 
really early in my career, thankfully, because it really set the stage for a, a big lesson that really changed the direction of how I how I occurred with my own clients, but and now how I teach people and and all of it. Um, but I had just learned this technique, and it was uh, the name of it was negative reverse selling. And so the concept was that somebody would say, like my prospect said to me, um, well, I really like what you're saying. Like you're really, this really sounds like it would be a good fit. And instead of saying, oh, great, you know, like let's, let's write it up or <laughs> like, let's talk more. I, the technique had me say, um, really, I, I'm surprised to hear you say that. Like I wasn't getting that sense. Like what did I miss? And so I kept doing that. Like every time they said something positive, I would go negative. And that's how I learned the technique. And I would just like, really, I'm not sure. And, you know, can you do this? And I'm like, I don't know. Why would that be important to you? And I was, I was so immersed in getting the technique right that I was completely disconnected from the actual conversation. It was all about me like being able to report back to my sales trainer that I did this technique properly instead of really listening to what the prospect had to say and responding appropriately and helping them to come to the conclusion that we were in fact a good match, that I did have a, a good solution to their problem. And so in that moment, uh, from that mistake, I learned, I did not get that deal by the way. So it was a costly mm -hmm. mistake in, in truth. Um, but it, as I debriefed that whole conversation happily immediately after I learned the lesson pretty quickly and I was able to distinguish for myself that it's never going to be a good idea to be so concerned with something that's about me getting something right at the expense of really being present with whoever I'm in a conversation with. So, I mean, it sounds like there's like a very specific lesson about when or how to use that technique, but then I also like how you sort of generalize that. What I, what I hear you saying is uh, don't focus so much on the method that you lose sight of the moment. Ah, oh, mic drop right there. That was, yes, perfect. Exactly. Well, but I, I think I picked up some of this language from your website though. So now I feel like <laughs> <laughs> I've stolen, I, you know, you don't want to be that, that stand up who steals someone else's jokes. No, I, I didn't mean to steal your, your words that you use there, but. Well, I, I love it. I, no wonder I loved it. I, I didn't even know I wrote that, but that's good. Yay. <laughs> I, I didn't steal it. I'm just influenced by you. Is that okay? Uh, yes, that's perfect. <laughs> well, but so to, to dig, I'm, I'm curious to, to hear a little bit more about the situation. Like was. Like what, 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 tell me a little more about the intent of, you know, negative reverse selling. Is that, is it like reverse psychology where you're letting the, the person sell themselves instead of feeling like they're being pushed? Yeah. I, I feel like the intention, it's a good idea. And it is a little bit based on that, you know, that, um, psychology, reverse psychology. Um, you, it's really about, helping somebody to get beneath the surface. Cause a lot of people will say, you know, like, like if I were to ask you, like, how's your day? And you say, Oh, it's a good, it's a good day. Um, uh, you know, most of us would just take that at face value. Oh, okay. Mark's having a good day. Moving on to the next thing. 
and negative reverse selling would have you say like, really, Mark? Because it doesn't look like it's a great day for you right now. So you're kind of like pushing the envelope a little bit to get just below the surface because in sales, the prospect is never really going to give you the right question. They're really, it's not like they're trying to be mean or manipulative, but they're just being protective, right? They're you know, salespeople. And that's why we say stop selling, start getting selected is because salespeople traditionally have been trained to be pushy and aggressive and salesy. And the only defense that prospects have in that situation is to keep the cards close to the vest, to, to push back. And so in traditional selling, you had to come up with a strategy, a technique to battle against the problem you created by being pushy. Mm-hmm. And so what what we do, uh, what we teach at Select Sales Development is to, to stop doing all of that pushy stuff. So we actually don't need to teach a, a tactic like negative reverse selling because it's unnecessary in a world where you're well-trained to set strong expectations, to ask good questions, to bring the defense wall down, and to have real honest conversations with prospects about the challenges that they really do have. And if you're an appropriate solution, how to talk about that in a in a way that honors everybody's um, triggers and, and emotional intelligence and all of it. So so that's why we don't need that anymore. Well, and, you know, were there signs that the prospect was maybe getting annoyed or frustrated with the approach? Were there signals that you didn't pick up on? I mean, because you know, you said you didn't get the deal, but how, how did you close the loop to realize that the that approach you took had not been effective? I, I thought a, I, I thought a little bit about that because I figured you might ask me a question like that. How did I know that I that I got it wrong? Um, in this case, and this is not something I am proud of, but I will say it on your podcast to live in an eternity. Um, in this case, the prospect literally said to me, you know, Merritt, you should really have a little bit more confidence in what you're selling. Wow. <laughs> Just totally stopped me in my tracks. I have been accused of a lot of things. Never in my life, low confidence. <laughs> like that was never one of the issues. So that really, it was, it was so obvious to them that I was, uh, that I had done this technique so incredibly bad that it it showed up like like low confidence mm-hmm. and and imagine imagine really talking to somebody that you think has low confidence and being very straightforward to say directly to them it appears like you have low confidence like mm-hmm. you have to have really <laughs> destroyed uh, yeah. any level of confidence that you may have. I, I, I was so disappointed. Yeah. I was so mm-hmm. embarrassed and uh, I had never heard that ever in my life. And it really stopped me in my tracks. And, mm-hmm. and, but it, I, you know, I, it, obviously many years later, I can look back in that moment and say, you know, that really was the learning that turned it around because it was in that moment that I realized that technique training alone wasn't Mm -hmm. going to be the thing that was going to have me be successful 
in sales or as a business owner, entrepreneur, or basically in anything, right? It just, it was going to be a the downfall. And so mm-hmm. I had to look at, well, what else is important? And that's where I really developed the language of the framework that I teach still today, which is that there are three things that are important in being successful. And that's mindset and mechanics, right? The nuts and bolts, the techniques, um, but also being in motion, right? So all three of those things, mindset, mechanics, and motion really need to be working together. And I was, because I was so uber focused on just getting the mechanics of sales, right? Mm. At the expense of the other two, it actually um, took away some of the strong mindset and beliefs that I had. It was overpowering. It was overshadowing that aspect. And what I learned was to get those more in balance. And Mm -hmm. once I really put some focus on getting those in balance, everything in my business changed for the better. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and what you're saying resonates with me because I think of the consulting work that that I do and colleagues do. There, there are uh, mechanics. There, are, there are methods um, that that you learn, and and I think there's always a risk. It sounds like what happened to you is you learn something new. I mean, you you said this. You learn something new. You want to go use that tool. Like I've got a a shiny new hammer. Uh, I'm going to go look for nails. I'm going to use it. And like a parallel to some of the work I do, there's often an emphasis on trying to coach by asking questions of not being too directive, not telling, but there are times where you've got to read the room where the questions, like you can tell the person you're coaching, and I was just getting annoyed. Like they've asked you a question, you answer with a question that, that, that sometimes creates tension. And then you've got to think, okay, well, I just took this class on leading by asking questions. Maybe I should step back from that a little bit. Uh, I couldn't agree with that more. In fact, there is a whole segment that we teach on asking questions and questioning techniques and strategies and softening statements and different things. And um, I always start it by saying, now, look, you're going to learn some good questioning techniques today. And the rule is you're not allowed to use them on me. (laughs) Like if I ask you a question, just answer the question in in this class setting. Um, Because sometimes, again, that's a perfect example of a, of a scenario where people get really excited about what they've learned and they can't wait to use it. And then, in, and then they misuse it, you know, you, and it's okay to take something a little too far to test it. Right. To, but do that in low risk situations. You know, in my case, I practiced a technique on something that uh, in a scenario where that really was a legitimately well-qualified prospect with a very good opportunity. And in those cases in particular, I think it's best to trust what you've learned in training and coaching situations. And then your best move is to be present. What's there for you, what's authentic to your new style, what what you've learned and embodied will shine through when you need it. And what's not authentic to you, what's not really part of how you have a natural conversation this is not the time and place to practice. Practice in low risk situations and with good opportunities. Be in the moment, and that will take you a lot farther. So, Merritt, I want to come back and, and talk more about the sales training that you do and, and some of the things you teach. But one that maybe detour into the work you do on stage. You know, <laughs> being a stand up comedian has got to be something that requires a high level of confidence to, to be vulnerable that way, to be up on stage. It's just 
you and a microphone and a stool and a bottle of water or a drink. Um, like at what point do you, so I'm curious that when you, you've got your, your tight 10, you've got your jokes lined up, sort of like you've learned a sales technique. Like at what point do you have to adjust and read the room based on here's what I planned on doing, but oof, I don't know if this is working. Well, that could be a whole nother mistake episode, Mark. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you a, a real life story. So I, uh, when I started doing comedy, it was 2014. I was married at the time. Um, my jokes are, I think good comedy is very personal. So I'm not joking about observations and uh, many, many comedians have have done that and done that very, very successfully. What my style of comedy is to um, find the humor in things that frustrate me or upset me. And I, I look for what's funny about this. And that's where I, I mean, it's just, it's a good life coping strategy. Um, anyway, so at the time my marriage was a little bit more difficult than I would have liked. And so my jokes were like, ha ha ha, my, you know, my husband is great and he thinks so too. You know, it was just, it was just soft, but it was playful. Um, and then as the marriage deteriorated, the jokes got a little bit meaner. And, um, and by the time we got to 2016, my comedy coach actually told me there were several jokes that I wrote that I was not allowed to do on stage because they had crossed the line. They were too mean. And that's when she informed me that my marriage wasn't going to work. So, uh, you know, it's just comedy, life, sales, it's all connected, right? Anyway, I was in Toronto, Canada, and I was there for uh, a week for a business uh, consulting project. And I decided to go to a comedy club and get asked for a few minutes on stage to, you know, like an open mic night type Mm -hmm. of thing. And at that time, so it was a Wednesday night. It was probably 1130 by the time I got on stage. And uh, the people that were in the audience at that time of the evening during the week are are younger. We'll just we'll just say that they were younger than I was. They hadn't maybe quite had as many life experiences as I had. And so all of my jokes at that time were about my marriage and had, so I got on stage and literally the people that were sitting right at the front, I could hear them talking to each other. And they said, wow, she's a little mean, isn't she? (laughs) And (laughs) And that's about telling your two band mean jokes. Uh, Right. I didn't even tell my mean jokes. But so imagine, right. I'm in Canada where everybody's nice and very polite. Mm -hmm. And, and it's a very young 20 something audience. And I was definitely not 20 something. So my jokes weren't appropriate. They weren't a match for the audience. Mm -hmm. Just like in a sales situation, if I'm not listening to my prospect and my solutions are not an appropriate match for what their problems are, we've missed the boat. And the sooner I can figure that out in a sales situation, the better. The sooner I can figure that out with a comedy audience, like look around, who is here? Um, which of my you know, jokes are going to land with this audience? Which are the, what are the appropriate solutions, jokes for mm-hmm. this audience? And, uh, and I did, I bombed 
horribly that night in Toronto. Um, I'm not sure I'm even allowed back in the country. Um, <laughs> but, I think none of us are right now. It seems. Oh, that's but, probably um, true. Yeah. Um, but I learned also a good lesson that night, which was, you know, I, I didn't have a wide repertoire of jokes at that time. And so now that I am, I recognize that now I actually have organized my set in terms of, you know, this is going to be a set that's really going to hit, hit it for an audience that's mostly male. This is going to be a set that an older audience is going to like. This is going to be a set that, you know, ladies night out is going to, they're, they're going to, I'm going to crush it with the ladies. So I really kind of take a look at the audience and then I can, I can select the jokes that really will be the best match for, for what they need. Cause it's not about what I think is funny. It's about what they think is going to be funny. It does seem like, wow, there are some really strong parallels and, and you reference back to um, our, our guest to recap a little bit is Merrick Khan. Her company is select sales system um, or no uh, select sales development. And she teaches something called my, my most recent mistake. She teaches something called the select sales system. So is there a parallel when you talk about selecting different jokes or groups of jokes that might apply to a situation, direct parallel then to what people can do in, in the course of sales? Yeah, that's a, that's a really fascinating question, Mark. I have never, I've never been asked that one. Give me a second. Um, okay. I think that what's there for me, I, I always... I always go back to my anchor, which is in business, what I call the open for business framework. And that's that mindset mechanics motion. So anytime I'm, I'm really trying to connect the dots between two different things, I, what's common to everything, what, where all the answers are is somewhere in that framework, mindset mechanics motion. So when I think about those two worlds and, and the, the differences and, and also the similarities, you know, like, in 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 comedy if i'm not in the right frame of mind to take that stage it really doesn't matter how how well i know my jokes i might be able to kind of like sleepwalk through the set a, a little bit but it will be a different experience for the audience it won't be nearly as good as when i'm really plugged in when I'm feeling confident, when I even like, like what my outfit is, like some of these little things that just give you that extra little boost. Um, and so, you know, and motion in that world is, you know, having enough at bats, you know, you really, they say, if you really don't get to count yourself a comedian until you have had your bomb on stage. And that is the reason that comics go to open mic nights and they're testing new material and things because there's a big difference between me writing something in my comedy journal that I think is funny and then getting the words right and, and seeing how the audience reacts. And you can't just test a joke one time. I guess this is a good parallel, much right. like you might have an offer for your business. And if you extend that offer to a prospect and they don't accept it, it's, it may not be that the offer isn't appropriate. It may be that there's something going on in that prospect's world that doesn't make it a match for them to take advantage of that offer or select to use that offer in that moment. And mm -hmm. so the same thing with comedy, you know, it may be that the joke is good, but there was something with my delivery. I didn't sell it. There's something with the audience. Sometimes it's the room, right? There's mm -hmm. so many 
factors and we have to learn to isolate and and isolate what the the real root of the issue is so that we don't duplicate those mistakes so that we can learn from from those experiences and that's why i found that open for business framework cuz being open for business isn't is more than just like having the sign on the door or having open business hours it's it's an action it's an attitude and and so i look at that framework as the anchor for for everything i i can always look to see did that experience not go well because of a mindset? Is there something I believe about that experience that had it go south? Is there something I'm bringing from a mindset or emotional perspective that's not connecting? Um, is it a mechanics issue? Did I just forget the punchline? <laughs> did I, did I, you know, did I try to sell features and benefits instead of asking mm-hmm. questions about their real issues? Right. So there's there's always mindset mechanics motion. There's the answer is always somewhere in there. Now, to those watching on YouTube, they can see there's a pillow over Merritt's left shoulder that says, "Are you open to dot dot dot?" Is and, and there's a picture of you holding that on your website, so I can tell the pillow is important. Is that connected to the open for business framework, or is there some other meaning or connection? Uh, it is. Well, first of all, uh, in our virtual world, I do a lot of Zoom meetings, as I'm sure all of your audience does. And the pillow is is great for two things. Number one, I'm constantly looking at my own little square on the screen, and it reminds me, am I open to what whatever it is that they're saying in the square next to me? Um, and And that's a good reminder for me, because especially... Um, I'll put myself in, in the category, any expert, any consultant, any advisor, any professional who knows their stuff, we get very excited when somebody asks us a question and we want to respond quickly and share our expertise. And I have to remember and remind myself, am I open to really understanding what's what's what their mm-hmm. issue is? Um, am I open to listening more and talking less? Right. So it, it says a lot of things to me, but it also is a great visual for the people that I'm talking to because they're looking at my face and somehow they're reminded, am I, am I open to what she's mm-hmm. saying? And that's, I can't sell anything. I can't even be selected until somebody else is open to my offers is open to receiving and is open to new possibilities. Um, yesterday, I was doing a, a leadership training for all of the top executives for a, a big global company. And one of the questions we spent almost an hour on was the the question that I posed to them was, have you already decided it can't get any better or are you open to a new possibility? And we, we really looked at that question from a lot of different angles, but it's a wonderful question. First, as leaders to ask ourselves, um, it's also a great question for leaders to ask everybody else that is on their team um, all the way down throughout an organization. And it's great for asking our prospects, like before we talk about all of our offers and all the things that we've done, you know, to help clients that have been in your situation have you already decided that your situation can't get any better or are you open to a new possibility? And really, you know, for, for the years that I, I spent 
training people what to say and how to close deals and all of the, the sales techniques and process and all of that, none of that makes any difference until somebody is open to hearing the opportunity that is there for them. And so now I spend a lot of my time um, speaking at conferences, um, speaking to leadership, and really just opening their minds to new possibilities. And honestly, it it's really just as simple as that four word question. Mm-hmm. Are you open to? I think that's a good reminder for myself as a podcast host. You know, there was a list of questions that I planned on asking and they had been jotted down in a certain order. Am I open to what my guest is saying? You know, am I, am I forcing the conversation in a certain direction or is it is it more of a dance? Hopefully it's more of a, a dance where, you know, I have a plan. This is this isn't exactly improv, but to, to be adaptable, not being so focused on the mechanics of my questions, but being more um, more in the moment with uh, with what you're saying as uh, as a guest. I, I was going to ask because I've I've never taken an improv class. I, I have colleagues or I've interviewed some people who have. I'm curious if you've taken an improv class because that requires an openness to whoever you're interact, interacting with. Is that different than you as a stand-up interacting with your audience? Yeah, that's a great distinction. So I have taken uh, improv classes and um, it's very different than stand-up. Both have been incredibly helpful for me as a business presenter, as a business owner, as a leader, as a coach trainer. Um, improv is, is really great training for being present in the moment and trusting your team because you'll be given a scenario. You didn't have any time to prepare for it. Um, you have to be very present to working off the responses of the people that you're in an improv scene with. And as long as everybody understands the rules of improv and doesn't violate them, you should have a pretty good outcome. And, and I've, you know, one of the most popular rules that people talk about is the yes. And Mm -hmm. well, that makes an important difference, right? If you're in a scene and you ask us, you know, you're one of your colleague actors, a, a question and they say, no, you know, it's like, well, now what do I do? So that's why that's an important rule. Um, in standup, it's it's the importance is really on the preparation and the practice. Um, yes, you have to be in the moment because you know it's fun to to deal with hecklers and and you know things like that. But I promise you, there isn't a standup comedian who is who hasn't practiced and prepared for how they will deal with hecklers. They have a million one-liners just ready to go. They will make it look like it's off the top of their head. It is not, not Mm -hmm. usually. Maybe, you know, I can't generalize all the time, but that's practice and preparation. And I think from studying both of those um, arts, I learned things and I was able to incorporate things into my um, keynote speaking presentations and interactive workshop experiences that make it a, a much more fun experience for my audience. But because I've learned to practice and prepare and be present, um, I, I can't not do that in my business. It's just, yeah. it's part of who I am and how I think. And it, I think it helps everybody learn. 
are, are you a fan or were you a fan of The Office, the episode where Michael Scott went to improv class and he was, of course, terrible at it? Well, do you, do you want to know a dirty little secret, Mark? Sure. I actually dated Steve Carell. It's true. <laughs> really? Wow. I did. Back in the... Back in my Chicago days, he was uh, on stage in Second City, and I used to go to all the improv shows. I thought he was so cute, so talented, and uh, had an opportunity to meet him through a nonprofit I was working with. And yeah. uh, anyway, that was fun. And yes, he is really funny in real life. Um, but yes, I've watched all the episodes of yeah. The Office, and I, I, I sort of I made up a little a little secret in my head that when he does a certain smile, he's really saying hello to me. <laughs> Well, I think it's funny that somebody like Steve Corral, who is so funny and is so good at improv, could act and, and do a good job of, of playing Mike. Michael Scott was not open to what people in his improv class are doing because he always wanted to like pull a gun out, with, you know, and like be some sort of gangster or shoot people, which yeah. was, of course, getting him kicked out of the improv class. Well, he is, uh, I, I mean, that's, a, he, he plays many characters very well. He's a very talented uh, actor, very talented yeah. comedian, writer. So, but yeah, you know, th- we find those people all over in our lives, right? That they, they're one way or they think they're being, you know, like they have the secret persona or something, but um, I don't know. There's, you know, he's a great, or that character anyway, is a great cut, uh, case study for lots of mistakes, <laughs> lots of yes. mistakes in the office. Um, lots of characters in that show making lots of uh, mistakes. Um, but I wanted to ask uh, one other thing, Merritt, you know, on, on your website, um, there was an interesting line there when you talk about the different sales coaching and training programs that you do. It says, all caps, warning, our programs are not a perfect match for everyone. Now, is, is that negative reverse selling or is that just <laughs> a matter of um, helping people select the right trainer who's the right fit. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about why that language is there on, on the website. Very insightful. Not everybody picks up on that one. Um, you know, I think uh, it's it's not, we didn't put that on there to be sort of like a technique-y thing. That is the, that is absolutely the truth. Um, mm-hmm. We, uh, we have an allergic reaction to know-it-alls. <laughs> and yeah. so we do everything we can to not work with them. Um, they're not good uh, as part of a community. And we do some public and you know training group training things. And so it's really important to us to maintain a strong community for our clients because that just makes, it just lifts the, elevates the level for everybody. And so um, we're we're really serious about that. Um, there are people over the course of my career that I've said, I wish you the best and mm-hmm. I'm happy to give you some names and numbers. I just don't think that we're going to be a good match and here's why. And of course, I'm not going to put them down or anything, but mm-hmm. there are a number of reasons why we might not be a good match. And sometimes it's more specific to the type of sales process that they're in. We we don't do any real work with um, government, um, you know, the, the you know, as a as a vertical or um, I don't know. I'm trying to think like education. That's not really a good. That's not one of our sweet spots. There's a lot of nuances to those kinds of businesses. So we just thought better to just lead with what's true 
which is, you know, really, if you want to multitask while you're, you know, you've got some online training course that you just paid for, it makes you feel good, but you're really not going to do anything with it. Like, don't pick us because mm-hmm. we're going to hold people accountable. We want our, our clients to get results. Our business has traditionally grown through word of mouth. And so it's important to us to be respectful of our clients' time and mm-hmm. our expertise and, um, you know, we want to do good work in the world. And there's plenty of people out there that could use our help, but everybody's money isn't the same color green. So our guest uh, again today has been uh, Merit Khan. You can find her website, MeritKhan.com. And uh, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so you can click on. So it seems like there's this running theme here in the episode of picking the right sales approach for the right moment, choosing the right set of jokes for the right audience or the right time of evening, how young are they, how drunk are they, who knows, and choosing uh, the right coach to help you in in a given situation. So Merit's company, again, is Select Sales Development. Um, She has the Select Sales System. And as she said earlier, she wants you to stop selling and start being selected. Is that the right recap? That's perfect. Well done. (laughs) So with a name like Merit, I mean, were were you tempted to, to use some sort of pun of like the Merit System? Yeah, my old business name was uh, Merit-Based Business, so Merit-Based, which was fun. And I actually once dated a guy whose last name is Worthy, so I could have been legitimately (laughs) Merit-Worthy. That would have been great for business. Um, But yeah, my my parents named me Merit. You know, I don't know how they knew. I mean, it's Merit means worthy of praise. Mm -hmm. Somehow they knew it right at the first moment. Um, But I've been trying to live up to my name ever since, so... It's a, it's a good challenge. Um, last, last question for you. Um, do, do you, you probably do remember the mean jokes. Are you willing to share one of them or do you hold to that, that moratorium on those jokes? <laughs> mean jokes. Oh, I don't know if I could do those. My, okay. my coach told me I couldn't. Let's see if I can give you a, a good and, one. To- and, and I'm doing the thing that I think standups hate. I don't mean to say like, Hey, please be go be funny. I know you're not like a- it's, it's tough because you know yeah. every joke has a, has the has the lead up <laughs> to it um but i will say that lurking somewhere out there is uh, a link to see my entire one woman show for free so if you're really that intrigued and you want to see some good jokes um find a, get in touch with me and i'll get you that link how's that okay so um we'll we'll share that with folks i will be curious to go and read that and um my most recent, recent mistake is uh, I shouldn't have put you on the spot for uh, the mean <laughs> joke, but thank you for sharing the idea that you had them. And, and we learned a lot about you today, Merit. So thank you for being a guest and uh, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Sure. Thanks again to Merit Khan for being a great guest as we explore some of the parallels between sales and comedy. Really appreciated it. For show notes, links, and more, you can go to markraven.com slash mistake 111. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.